Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. Uh, because we decided this was a thing, uh, for the purposes of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. You don't get to pick your own nickname, Whitney. Other people have decided th- to uh, to I, adopt it. I, I think I did pick that one, but one they didn't have to take as, it as a bit of a joke. But yeah, it's look, it, we've all people we've, took it and ran with it. We've all tried to give ourselves a nickname, like yeah, my name is Nitro, hmm. and, but other people have to decide whether or not they're willing hmm. to call you that. So you may put forth a nickname, but if it's up to others to decide <laughs> if it's a thing, people decided that you f- you feel like a rock meister hmm. McGool, and I think that's fair. <laughs> hey, but yeah, hey bandmates, I want you to call me Sting. <laughs> I call you Sting. <laughs> Anyway, this is the uh, podcast here at the Critical Acclaim Network where you write us emails and then we read your emails and then we answer your questions or respond to your criticisms or we recommend movies or TV or whatever you want us to talk about, really. We're pretty much open books. We get a lot of emails. We're very grateful for it, but we don't have time for all of them. So we try to uh, just jump right in. Uh, if you want to write us an email for the for well, this episode, it's a bit too late. We're recording it now. I don't know how you'd... I don't know how you <laughs> Hear me before we finish recording. It's, uh, we, we don't know. They might have time travel. Okay, if you do, I'm very impressed. But if you would care to email us for a future episode, our email is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. We don't have time for all of them, so let's just jump right in. Mm. Whitney, tell us about our very first email. Uh, our first email comes from Graham. Hello, Graham. Hi, uh, Graham. Hey, Bibbs and... Uh, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this. Um, Kareg Meister Macamel. Um, that's Rockmeister Macamel. Rock it's it's Irish, and I don't know how to pronounce Irish. So there you go. I just did it phonetically, and I apologize for everything I did wrong. <laughs> uh, this is the closest Irish translation to Rockmeister McCool that I could find uh, from Ireland. I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, I've even written in before, and it's always a delight, even when I know I disagree with some of your opinions. Yeah, fair. fair. That's totally fair. We're often wrong. Um, uh, oh, all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, but as as I've said before, it's not not uh, it's not a contest. It's not a critic's job to agree with you, yep. and it's not your job to agree with the critic. Yep. So uh, just, We're all just to, talking. It's here. just to communicate. Um, my question is: Have you guys ever watched proper Irish films? Mm. And what are your thoughts on them? Films like Wolf Walkers, The Book of Kells, Boys from County Hell, Arakt, or The Cured. Uh, I say this because we, as a country, never come up in the cinematic conversations unless we're portrayed as drunken fools or rebels fighting against the English, or at times ourselves. We have a deep history and lore that is rarely touched upon, uh, and we have and we have stories that rival or surpass any other kind of fiction out there. I was hoping to get your thoughts and maybe interest uh, interest you in our stories as well. Don't mention that Artemis Fowl adaptation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we won't. Cheers, uh, Graham Day, uh, and 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 directed by an an Irish director as well, Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh is Irish. Oh, I, okay, I forgot about that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we actually had a question in a recent episode where we were asked about our favorite British films, and I mm-hmm. think they mentioned Irish films too. And I think we kind of failed to answer that part of the question. So mm-hmm. I'm glad it's come up again. Um, again, there's cinema from pretty much every country in the world, yeah, and unfortunately, and, uh, not all of it reaches our shores or does with uh, enough fanfare that anyone notices and a lot of it can just feel like it can get really really lost if you don't have a guide yeah. and I, I have uh, I've actually made it kind of a goal of mine to start seeing uh, more movies from countries I haven't seen them from before yeah. I, I saw a Nigerian film I saw a film from Lesotho earlier uh, earlier this year 
Um, I've seen a, a goodly number of Irish films, but it's I think it's safe to say that I am no expert. Um, Same. But I have seen, uh, and, and I'm not just going to talk about like Jim Sheridan or Stephen Frears or mm-hmm. um, or, well, uh, or we, Neil Jordan. Like the the those are those three. I think are like the most famous Irish filmmakers. Yeah. Who make films set in Ireland that make their way over here to the United States. I would recently add uh, John Michael McDonough. What is John Michael McDonough? John doing? Michael McDonough did uh, he did two re- films I'm very very fond of. He did The Guard hmm. uh, with uh, Don Cheadle and Brendan Gleeson. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a very very good uh, mismatched buddy cop movie that goes in directions you don't expect that genre to go. Hmm. Uh, just truly excellent. And he did a really great movie that I was convinced was going to get Brendan Gleeson a Best Actor nomination uh, called Calvary uh, about uh, and uh, uh, about a priest who in the confessional uh, is, uh, tells the father that uh, he's going to be killed in a week. And he mm. doesn't know who's, who was in that confessional and who said that. And he's interrogating the, everyone in his town, trying to figure out like who's, who's got it in for him. And um, boy, is it great. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's dark and it's really depressing and it's incredibly thoughtful and smart. And Brenda Gleeson is... Just chef's kiss astounding in that movie. Mm. Like, really should have been nominated and maybe won. Like, he's really, really great. Um, so I'm a fan. Uh, John Michael McDonough is, I believe, uh, he's, he's the brother. Yeah, he's the brother of Martin McDonough, who's a little bit more famous. Uh, he did uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Seven Psychopaths. I'm not a fan of either of those movies. Mm. Uh, he also did In Bruges, which is quite good. Uh, it, it it's it's pretty good. I it's, like it a lot. It's, it's, it's got some good stuff in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Irish film, at least as as it tends to break out as, uh, internationally. Uh, if you go back throughout the history of Hollywood, there are a lot of uh, Irish co-productions, mm-hmm. but they were made with like American or British money. Yeah, it's always so you're going to... back to stuff like Darby O'Gill and the Little People or and the, the Quiet Man, which yeah. is quite charming. Um, but, but yeah, uh, yeah the, the whether quiet, those are proper Irish, known as, as like a John Wayne movie rather yeah. than an Irish film. Well, necessarily. That's, that's often the case where yeah. there's like one like American actor. Like there's an Irish film I'm very fond of from 1995, uh, directed by Pat O'Connor called Circle of Friends. That oh, was Circle, a, that was Circle a of Friends a, is a good one. Yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a breakout movie uh, in the mid 90s. Uh, it starred uh, Colin Firth and Minnie Driver and Saffron Burroughs and Chris O'Donnell. For some reason, o- O'Donnell. He's got a, an Irish name. <laughs> I guess he does. Um, but uh, he was, you know, he was the American in the cast. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a lovely film actually, and it actually deals with like some real, um, you know, real issues. And it just it's just a good hmm. sort of um, I don't know if I call it a coming of age film, but it's just a, an, an excellent like young romance movie. Hmm. Um, quite fond of that. Um, yeah, the, the first like yeah. Like, film that I think, like, not first Irish production I saw, but the first film that was, like, definitely from Ireland and about Irish people that I saw Mm -hmm. uh, as sort of an adolescent was My Left Foot. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Jim Sheridan film, and uh, it's about um, Christy Brown, an author who famously, uh, I think he had ALS. Uh, He couldn't move his body, he could only move his foot, and he ended up becoming a very very famous author just by writing uh, with his left foot. Yeah. And uh, so it's about sort of his, his struggles growing up and there's his life story. And that's a really, really good movie. Daniel Day Lewis, <clears throat> excuse me, is really wonderful in it. Fiona Shaw's in it. Uh, Brenda Frecker's in it. And 
that that film I think was part of like the big indie boom and we started getting a lot of like international imports so we started to see a lot of Irish imports like right in that period like throughout the the early 90s uh, that's when we heard uh, The Commitments and Into the West and Hear My Song. The Commitments and, was a big one yeah, for me. I was a huge, another, huge another fan Jim of Another Jim Sheridan film in The Name of the Father. Stephen Furrier's The Snapper was around that mm-hmm. time. We started getting uh, more of uh, Neil Jordan, who was a big breakout uh, director here. He did uh, Interview of the Vampire, which was his, big, his biggest American production. But uh, he also did a film, it's really dark, but it's excellent. Uh, you ever see The Butcher Boy? Yeah, the Butcher Boy is good. It, the Butcher Boy is really good. It's it's kind of sick, but it's that's kind of the sick. point. No, yeah. it's it's a movie about um like a child or a, or a young boy who's actually like sort of retreating into these sort of violent fantasy worlds and uh, uh yeah, it's it's a twisted film, but it's really really well made. It's it's like the film in his like filmography that is I think everyone agrees is excellent, but doesn't get talked about very often because mm. it's not fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's really, really good. So that's and, definitely and Neil Jordan. Um, he also did the, Neil Jordan's probably best known for the crying game, uh, yeah, but he also did good. Michael Collins. Uh, he did the butcher boy. Uh, mm. his last film was, uh, that mm. pretty awful one with, uh, Isabelle Luper, um, Greta. Oh, I, didn't, I like, I kind of like Greta. Greta um, was kind of a, Gre- Greta was not great. Greta, <laughs> Greta reminded me of a William Castle movie where it's just like, Hey, we're just going to do something kind of sleazy and, and, and terrible, but we're mm. going to get like a really great older actress to give a del- deliciously unhinged performance. Mm. And that's what we got. Look, I, I, I will not turn down any opportunity to watch Isabelle Huppert act. Uh, there's yeah. a, a wonderful scene where she spits gum into Chloe Grace Moretz's hair, and that, that's a pretty fun scene. But yeah. uh, it's fun. I, I find that movie very entertaining. But is it great? No, of course not. But yeah, Neil Jordan. Yeah. Uh, if you're a horror movie fan, he did uh, the Company of Wolves, which is a really good werewolf. Yep. Mo- one of the great werewolf movies because there aren't mm-hmm. actually aren't a lot. Not as many uh, as you think. One of his more uh, biggest movies in the '80s was Mona Lisa. Uh, I did not like We're No Angels. He's done some bad ones as well. Oh, yeah, We're No Angels is in, yeah. is in, it has a great like kind of comedy twist hmm. where like something gets misheard in the most perfect way possible. <laughs> uh, well, I actually really like that bit, but it's not great. Uh, we and uh, and uh, well, some also mentioned in the email is the work of Tom Moore, uh, who co-founded the Cartoon Saloon with uh, Norma. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this Nora Twomey and Paul Young. And uh, Cartoon Saloon is responsible for some of the best animated movies of the last, like, 12 years. Yeah, um, Secret of Kells, Wolf Walkers, and... Uh, um, Song of the Song Sea. Song of the Sea. Yeah. Uh, which are all uh, based in Irish folklore and mm-hmm. uh, deal with a lot of uh, Irish iconography. Yeah. Of those, I think my favorite is is The Book of Kells. Uh, but they're Secret all good. Or Secret of Kells, yeah. but yeah. Secret I of think Kells is really astoundingly good. beautifully animated. Mm. Like, it's just absolutely incredible. Um Song of the Sea, I think, is a little underrated. I think it came in, like, the middle there. Yeah. Uh, but it's really, really just emotionally, like, riveting. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Wolf Walkers. Yeah. I think I, Wolf I, Walkers I know you're, is, you're, you're very yeah. fond of that. Wolf Walkers right? hit me, like, right right in the heart. Like, mm-hmm. it's exactly what I wanted uh, at the time. So, um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Tom Moore. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of gaps. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of, like, Irish filmmakers who I'm, like... I don't know if their films count as Irish movies, depending <laughs> on where they were made. You know, you look at like lists of Irish movies and maybe it'll include something like Excalibur, but like, is that actually an Irish well, movie? Yeah, like, I don't know. Well, and, again, these, some know. of these are like co-productions or they were filmed in Ireland yeah. or like, um, 
technically uh, that dragon movie, Reign of Fire, that's an Irish production. Technically. Technically. I mean, yeah. it's a big, dumb American science yeah. fiction post-apocalyptic blockbuster with dragons and Matthew McConaughey. That was the movie I saw to celebrate that I had just, like, the day that I found out I got into film school. Uh-huh. That was the movie I saw to celebrate, Reign of Fire. That was new in theaters at the time. <laughs> And I was like, I want to see this dragon movie. And the dragon movie was like, it's kind of stupid, actually, but I had a good time. So, yeah, um, I, I have seen numerous Irish films. Uh, I can't speak to which ones sort of express, hmm. like, Irish national character or about, no, or about patriotism, other than yeah. the ones that sort of deal directly with Irish history. Yeah. Um, but the to the accuracy yeah, of that, we, we, we could not say. Uh, well, I, I would love to hear from some yeah. other uh, Irish listeners. What, Please. What you think are sort of the best or the most emblematic Irish movies, which I know is a difficult thing to do. Uh, um, oh, I forgot. There was a good Irish horror movie came out a couple of, like, I think last year. Was it Sea Fever? Oh, um, yeah, Sea Fever. Yeah, it came out about a year ago. Uh, that's a really, really creepy it's, aquatic horror film about a fishing boat yeah, that, like, it's, it's runs afoul of, like, a weird parasite in the yeah. middle of the ocean. It, it's an alien knockoff, but it's a really good it's one. A really, it's kind it, of low-key low and very scary. There's there's a couple knockoff. of, like, body horror elements in that movie that generally made me go, <laughs> no, thank you, oh, God, like, just really gross, so... Uh, kudos for that. Mm. Uh, but hopefully that answers your question. Uh, let's move on. Thank you for asking. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, like I say, I'm, I'm trying to explore the world cinematically. Yeah. Uh, here is a letter from, let's see here, MJ. Hi, MJ. Hello, MJ. Um, hey, Bibbs and Whitney. Hope you guys are doing well. As an animation fan, I have a lot of affection for the Looney Tunes. Mm. But zero love or tolerance toward the first Space Jam, with the exception of its admittedly sweet soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it was the best-selling soundtrack. Come yeah. on and slam. Yeah, this is Qu- the Quad, Jam. Quad City All-Stars. Um, as a concept, it's cynical, shallow, and does not respect the spirit of the original Looney Tunes shorts. Just to provide some context, I was four when the first Space Jam came out, mm. and even as a little kid, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the various Looney Tunes shorts that aired on the Cartoon Network. So when the sequel finally came around, I decided to give it a fair chance. I figured that if movies like the Lego movie or Wreck-It Ralph managed to exceed my expectations, maybe they might do something clever with the Space Jam sequel. But when the more, more and more clips of the film came out, from the excessive amounts of references to other Warner Brothers IP, to the cringe-inducing rap battle, what little hope I had for the movie was snuffed out like a candle. So I watched this movie this weekend on HBO Max as I took a break from editing an episode of my own podcast hmm. called Pointcast, a Pinky in the Brain podcast. Ooh! <laughs> That's cool. Traws. And uh, while a new legacy has some nice 2D animation and the Looney Tunes themselves are a bit better than they were in the first one, the whole movie is a cynical cash grab that not only banks on nostalgia, but banks on excessive and shameless flaunting of corporate properties. Uh, Yeah. Uh, um, All accurate. And uh, and that leads to another big issue I have with the movie. This is how lazy the pop culture references are here. That's not to say I'm against media catered towards kids having nods to adult movies and shows. Some of my favorite cartoons were able to put in many clever references that older viewers would enjoy. Uh, like the old Looney Tunes, for instance. Um, yeah. Animaniacs did that a lot. They did a whole Apocalypse Now episode. Mm. I'm like, your target demo does not has not seen that movie yet. Or at least they shouldn't have. <laughs> I remember uh, seeing an interview with the, the makers of Freakazoid, who's mm. the same team who did Animaniacs. And they did an entire uh, segment that was Hello, Dolly. Yeah. And they sang, like, song. They, they didn't couldn't license the song, so they kind of wrote the music, mm-hmm. so it sounds kind of like Hello, Dolly, but mm-hmm. it's about a villain called the Lobe, who has a brain for a yeah. head. And uh, they said, yeah, we decided to do a Hello, Dolly episode, and he thought for a minute, because kids love Hello, Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So that, that's something my wife and I still say to each other. <laughs> Why is this in there? Oh, because kids love that. Yeah, kids love Ken Russell's The Devils. Kids, kids love A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Uh, but uh, some examples here. Phineas and Ferb had a lot of funny refer- uh, references to adult movies and TV shows. Gravity Falls featured some cool homages to other horror movies. Yep. There are entire episodes of Pinky and the Brain that spoofed other older movies like The Third Man and Man of La Mancha. Freakazoid parried Hello Dolly. There it is. in a hilarious four minute long musical number. Hank, one SpongeBob SquarePants episode made numerous, numerous references to Nosferatu that stuck with <laughs> me for years. And when I finally discovered the movie, I was like, hey, that's the guy from the SpongeBob episode. <laughs> Even the original Looney Tunes cartoons had satirical takes on movies and actors at, from the time period, but there's a difference between loving homages or carefully crafted satire to other media simply shoving Looney Tunes characters into other WB movies in a lazy edited montage or a random Rick and Morty cameo just so the audience can say, oh yeah, Warner Brothers owns that. <laughs> An additional nitpick is mm. that while there are cameos, uh, were cameos for family-friendly cartoons such as the Animaniacs and various Hanna-Barbera cartoons, the movie could have had more mileage with referencing those shows beyond merely being mere spectators at a big game. When I first saw the blurry images of the Warner siblings in the trailer, I was hoping that Pinky and the Brain wouldn't have made a cameo, mm-hmm. preferably in some clever twist where Don Cheadle's character would have been a giant robot or a computer program oh my God. operated by the mice in another that was their to take plan over the world. That, oh my God, that would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Alas, that was not the case. That would have been such a treat. Honestly, mm. just even that, just like you think about it, like we never really got to see Yakko, Wacko, and Dot interact with bugs. That would have been nice. Well, well, have we never seen that? Like, come on, this is a great opportunity. At least give them a moment, uh, you know? Would, and and we, we got to see Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Where are the Tiny Tunes? They should have been in there. Should have been in no, there. Nobody likes the Tiny Tunes anymore. That bugs me. Uh, Babs, is, Babs is a cultural icon, damn yeah, it. Ba- ba- uh, Bab- Babs, Buster, Plucky, and Hampton, like the, yeah. the, the central quad, are, are all... Yeah. I, I could relate to all of those people. Yeah, all right. Those animals, those characters. Yeah, <laughs> they're people. Animal people. Yeah. Uh, and my final piece of criticism ah. is how the movie did not properly credit some of its artists, including Dave Alvarez. Mm. I, susp- I respect the effort that animators put into the movie, but it's a shame that some of the artists involved are not receiving the credit they deserve. That sucks. And I, they say, like, these are Warner Brothers characters, but there's no acknowledgement. This is me talking now. Uh, there's no acknowledgement of the history of those characters yeah. at all. Like, who like, who created this character? Like, no, it's it, like, that should be like... Shouldn't you, like, credit Bob Clampett and Robert yeah. McKimson and Frizz Freeling and Chuck Jones... Damn and, right you should. ...and all of those filmmakers from the 40s and 50s who mm-hmm. kind of, like, invented the way these characters operate and relate to us? Yeah. But anyway. Uh, overall, I would not call Space Jam A New Legacy a good movie. <laughs> it's not the worst movie ever. It's arguably better than the first Space Jam, but it's a morally bankrupt film filled with trite cliches and shameless promotion of a giant corporation. Some people will appreciate it for being dumb, and that's fine, but ex- excusing the shallowness as it's just a kid's movie does a disservice to children because they deserve more films with substance and engaging themes, too. I hope uh, you enjoyed reading my criticisms on film, and I hope you too, Kate, take care. Sincerely, MJ. Uh, MJ, yeah. thank you so much. Anything else? Mm-hmm. There's no PS or anything? Okay. It, yeah. uh, thank you for that. Uh, you echo a lot of our sentiments. I don't know if you had already heard our uh, podcast review on Critically Acclaimed, but we we agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, I even agree that technically, on a technical level, uh, it's a little better than the original Space Jam. The animation is sharper. There's mm-hmm. more jokes that work. Uh, the plot hangs a little better. Um, but yeah, you know... <sighs> you... <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to put this. Um, 
some movies are bad and it's okay. Some movies mm. are bad and it's not okay. Yeah. And the difference is not or should not be your own personal connection to the material. You know, it's not just like, well, I happen to like this character, so I don't care if it's crap and has a terrible message. Uh, for me, what it boils down to is, does it feel like this movie, in its badness and its failure to do something interesting or productive or creative or you know anything like that, um, does it have the capacity to do actual harm? It's giving you a bad idea. Yeah, is it it presenting a bad perspective? A perspective that Mm. is actually unhealthy, either Mm. on a personal level, and of course that's subjective, but we're allowed to have those opinions. Or maybe in the case of something like Space Jam, where it's presenting, here's how you should look at corporations. Mm. And honestly, we should be questioning that. And we should not just be looking at like, oh yes, Warner Brothers... Is you know the the they they're the keeper of all of these wonderful universes, and I'm like, great. What are you doing with them? Space Jam: A New Legacy? Not great. Yeah. The, uh, no, you're not. And, you're and, not a caretaker yeah. right now. You're actually just exploiting them. And again, all all or most of these were like studio products to begin with, made within a studio system. They were made to make money, but they weren't made exclusively for that purpose. At least not all of them. Many of them were made people who really cared about what they were doing. They're taking a lot of the art out of the out of these characters and they're yeah. taking them out of their stories. And when we see them out of context, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing Fred Flintstone standing there is meaningless. Yeah. And we're meant to feel a thrill. They're exploiting our pop culture familiarity with these things in order to sell a ticket to something that is ultimately incredibly empty. And I think that's an incredibly bad message to be sending to kids. Mm-hmm. That, and adults. Uh, and, many yeah, of them, yeah, them are willing to that buy you, it. That you need to be excited about these characters just because they are there mm-hmm. get excited because they represent this canon of characters that a studio owns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it's emblematic of actually a really unfortunate trend. I, I compare, a lot of people are comparing uh, space jam to ready player one, because those are both sort of mm-hmm. big pop culture mashup movies where characters owned by many different companies appear on screen together. Oh, look, there's Goro from mortal Kombat, yeah, and the-, the alien comes out of its chest. Isn't that a hoot? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's yeah. a here's a car chase with all these famous yeah. cars from movies. All all references, yeah. no context. Exactly. Mm. And uh, that movie is about uh, essentially trying to ally yourself with a white Gen Xer and the kind of shit that they watched. Yeah, uh, and it's it's incredibly self serving. It insults guys my age. The most philosophically and, uh, transcendent thing you can do mm. is figure out a guy who watched a lot of cartoons in the early nineties. Yeah, more or yeah. less. He was really into Space Invaders and Joust and Back to the yeah. Future. Yeah. His favorite movie was The Shining. Wow, that's... What does that signify? A lot of people like that movie. That's just not really yeah. unique to him. Anyway, but the, the ultimate message of that was the bad guy was wanted to buy all of these characters and then put ads in front of them. That was the big sin of Ready Player yeah, One. He wanted to fill the screen with advertising. Hmm. And then the movie ends with literally like this like giant like torrential wave of advertising <laughs> for just all, uh, all these characters. all these intellectual properties from everywhere all over the globe you've got characters from overwatch and the smurfs and back to the future and Chucky's all this stuff in there, yeah. and they're only there 
Yeah, they're there because they could get them, but they're only there because they figured putting them in there would mm-hmm. sell you them. Yeah, it, so it's, it's just doing the thing. That, and it's exactly like Space Jam in that the the existence of the movie mm-hmm. is the villain. Yeah. Like the, what the, the villain uh, is doing is trying to do. We have to stop the villain from doing basically making Space Jam a new legacy or making Ready Player One. Then there's no self awareness. There's no understanding yeah, the, the, of uh, hypocrisy. Indeed, and and I'm both those movies are about what, how grand it is to ally yourself with the company. Yeah. Uh, it, the what the corporation the, the, the is good actually. Yeah. What the, what the two the two sides are fighting for are two different companies. Both gigantic corporations. Let's call them Apple and Microsoft. In the course of in yeah. the case of Ready Player One, uh, Microsoft wants to have ads. Apple does not. So we better fight for Apple. That's just a, that's what they're doing. They're on yeah. the battlefield, fighting and killing for the company. Mm-hmm. And who gets ownership of the company? Yeah, that's that's horrible. And uh, yeah. I think it's uh, Space Jam though might be a little bit more in line with something like Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. And you and I are uh, on record for how much we hate Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. Uh, all of the flashback stuff with P.L. Travers, that would have made a good movie. That's good stuff, actually. Um, like uh, Rachel the, Griffiths and yeah. Colin Farrell are really good in that film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of the things about Walt Disney is sickeningly self-serving. Yeah. Because the ultimate message of that film is, no, Disney was made the right choice in deliberately mistreating the property of the author who didn't want to sell it to them. And the author. Yeah. And the, and the author, author yeah. herself. She did not so know she goes, what to, she, yeah, she she goes did not to, know what to the, do with her own stuff until Disney yeah. bought it. Disney Disney knows her stuff better than she does. And she keeps throughout that film too they say that I know what this is. This is based on something really really personal. Yeah. Stop trying to take it away from me and turn it into the schlock that you do. And Walt Disney says, "Okay, I'll treat it very respectfully." And then he made it into schlock uh, against yeah. her own wishes. Yeah, it's good schlock. Yeah. I think we've all seen and Mary Poppins, and we can acknowledge that it's a well-made movie. Mm-hmm. But I like it's it. not what she intended. I, it's not I, what the author yeah. cared about. I like it less after seeing Ma- Saving Mr. Yeah. Banks. Actually, I, and, uh, I, having read the books when I was getting, I remember I, uh, I interviewed uh, the writer of Saving Mr. Banks, and I talked about um, I talked about the difference between the movie and the books, and uh, they made the point to me that like, well, how many have you ever read the books? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yes. Mm-hmm. And they pointed out that most people haven't. Mm. And that's pretty true. Most people's awareness of Mary Poppins is based on the movie. And I'm going to say two things to that. One, that's sad. And and not because it's a bad movie, but because it has erased the thing that Mm. gave it its existence. The version of the thing, like, like we created something that's so beautiful, Disney wanted to make a movie about it. Mm. Okay, great. And then Disney made a movie about it. And erased that thing from the cultural, like from a cultural awareness, and then made a movie bragging about it, about how how they well, and they were just, right to do bragging so. about it. Yeah, that they were in the right to do so. So, I boy, f- is I, that a dick move? I feel like that's what Space Jam was doing. It's yeah, well, yeah we have all these things. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, we can just shove them all together, and we own them. And aren't you lucky that a company cares enough about you? To put everything you love in one spot, it's like God. fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> um, but so again, it's so, like yeah. is it is it is it the worst movie ever made? Uh, not from like a perspective of just watching it, but mm. in terms of its sort of conceptualization, no. one can argue that it's down there. It's down, and, and, but it's, but again, it's, it's all a matter of what you value. It's yeah. all a matter of what matters to you. I would argue that the worst movie ever made isn't necessarily the most inept movie ever made. It's a movie that makes you worse for watching it. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that, that, that there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of subjectivity yeah. to that, but 
that's yeah, where my head is at anyway. That, that said, I have seen movies that have reprehensible morals that I still really enjoy. Oh, yeah. Uh, the like, case in point is Taken. That's yeah. the one I bring up. That, that 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 is a movie that has, like, no moral heart whatsoever, mm-hmm. and it's, like, a, like actively advocates for violence. Yeah. It, in, like, in a very real-world sort of way, and, like, mm-hmm. reinforces a lot of really bad ideas that, like, fantasy, like, dad fantasies about getting revenge on the the people from other countries are going to snatch your daughter. It's right. like all, all these horrible fantasies are being played into. You're not wrong. Um, I, I kind of hope that most audiences are smart enough to see that and recognize how yeah. bad that is and you know, enjoy well, themselves it's, nonetheless. It's okay to enjoy problematic material mm-hmm. as long as you're not like stuffing wads of cotton in your ears and mm-hmm. saying, no, no, there's nothing problematic about it. Like, no, we, you just have to be willing to have that conversation out of yourself all right, this thing doesn't work or this part of this movie that's a classic or considered a classic is outdated or sexist or has some other problem with it that's kind of hard to get behind, but so much of the rest of it's really, really good. And so, yeah, it's it's not about like pretending that's not a thing. It's about mm-hmm. acknowledging that that's a thing and appreciating that there's complexity here and that we're going to like some stuff about some movies and dislike some stuff about others and... You know, we, we decide for ourselves when a line gets crossed, I suppose. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Uh, here's a letter from uh, Myriad. Hello. Uh, and it's spelled M-A-I-R-E-A-D, so I apologize if I uh, mispronounced okay. that. Um, dear Lieutenant Bibiani and Rock Monsignor MacLumbo, <laughs> <laughs> um, really loved your recent commentary track for Murder by the Book. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a commentary track that you and I did for the... Uh, Essentially, the Columbo pilot mm-hmm. that was directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, that's available on our Patreon page yeah, if you want um, to listen to that. Uh, I was hoping perhaps you'd consider doing some others. Or even better, adding Columbo to your roster of regular podcasts. Columbo was a really important show to me when I was growing up. It was very popular in Scotland, where we saw it very much as a critique of the Reaganomics slash Thatcherism policy of the rich being allowed to get away with whatever they wanted, while the working class w- were often ignored. Uh, the working class schlub hero of the show, ignored and underestimated, besting his better his quote betters. Every episode was always something to look forward to. This is a formula we could subscribe to. Definitely ahead of its time on that. I'd love to hear your views on the show going forward, especially the class element, which seems to me, uh, as an outsider to the U.S., was rarely addressed on mainstream television. And although it's not a direct adaptation, I think it's definitely uh, the best version of Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment in any <laughs> format. Uh, we actually talked about the, that uh, in, the, in the commentary. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd have added it to the Also Rans in your recent uh, literary classics episode. Oh, that's uh, one of our point, listicle yeah. episodes. Um, such a fan of your in-depth discussions. Thank you for being my movie angels as I copied Ooh. with lockdowns these past months. Uh, warmest regards, Myriad. Thank um, you so much for writing yeah. in. And uh, yeah, we've actually had a really positive response to that commentary. That was part of our Your Critically Acclaimed uh, series, where, where our uh, highest mm. tier... Uh, patrons get to sponsor an episode and uh, we're at a point now where in order to crank those out faster we're encouraging everyone to uh, uh, pitch commentary mm-hmm. tracks because it's more efficient for us to uh, record those uh, but yeah we we did a commentary track for wasn't technically the first ever Columbo because they did some TV movies mm-hmm. but when they took Columbo from TV movies to a regular series the first episode that they aired was a real corker of a mystery mm-hmm. that was written by Steven Bochco and directed by a young Steven Spielberg uh, before he had made Duel and broken into the uh, future film market. Um, I had never seen Columbo before. I'd heard the legends. Mm-hmm. I've, I've definitely seen the references, but uh, for whatever reason, it was just never on TV when I was watching it, and so I never really got caught up in it. Uh, and Columbo's great. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a hoot. I had a great time recording that commentary track with you. It was fun. Um, This is not the first feedback that we've had about that commentary track asking us to do more Columbo. Mm. I will say this. We've got a lot on our plates, and there's a lot of Columbo out there. But I won't say that we won't do Columbo. What I will say is this. If you want us to do Columbo <laughs> as our, in our critically acclaimed way where we like review every single episode ever hmm. uh, in order, uh, that would definitely probably have to be a Patreon thing because uh, that's a lot, you know, a bit more effort. Um, but uh, let us know if you would like to probably won't do commentary tracks. I'll probably just do podcasts, but uh, hmm. let us know if you would like us to do Columbo. And if we get enough people saying, uh, they would, especially if they would sign up if they haven't already. Mm. Uh, we would definitely do that because it's fun. Mm. And uh, we love doing podcasts, don't we? <laughs> we sure do a lot of them. Yeah. But like seriously, if there's something we can do by popular demand, well, why wouldn't we? Mm. Especially if we like the idea and, you know, watching Columbo ain't no chore. <laughs> so there you go. Although there's like hundreds of Columbos, dude. There's like I know. A lot, a lot of, and they were long. I know, I that's know. A, that's a lot to take on. It's a lot to take on. It's a lot to take on. Actually, hold on. I wonder if I can find out just exactly how many Columbos there are. <laughs> it's like you, you look up the years on Columbo. It's like, oh, it started, started, but oh, got, it went on for like 30 no, years. No, 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 you're, 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 you're exaggerating it. It's actually only 69 episodes of Columbo. Because it was on for forever, but it was uh, part of a uh, sick, it was a show. Uh, a weekly movie kind of Yeah, thing. where basically what happened was uh, the network... Uh, NBC uh, would alternate the mo- the the show that they showed mm-hmm. every single week. So one week it would be Columbo, another week it would be I don't know McMillan and Wife or something. And um, so even though it was on for forever, they only did like one episode a month. Uh-huh. So it actually isn't that bad. So there's ten seasons of Columbo, but there's only sixty nine episodes. And if there's only sixty nine episodes, screw it. Let's track down Mrs. Columbo. <laughs> Might as well add it in there. Give it a sure. try. Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, if, but again, we'll only do this if we get enough people actually asking us to do it. So mm-hmm. uh, find us on Twitter. We're at Critic Acclaim. And uh, just tweet us and just say, hey, give us Columbo. And, <laughs> we and want we, Columbo. And if we get enough people, especially people who would, you know, they say you would, you would consider joining the Patreon, we would totally do more Columbo. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. As it stands, you know, it's, we got a lot on our plate right now and it's hard to prioritize something new. But if a lot of people ask for it, I guess we'd have to. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, next letter? Sure. Hey, here's a letter from Jack. Hello, Jack. Hi, Jack. Uh, dear Bibbs and not Bibbs. Well, I guess that's me, isn't it? <laughs> we should get t-shirts. Yours says Bibbs and mine says not Bibbs. Oh. Uh, no, we should have yours say Bibbs and mine says not Bibbs and really mess with everyone's ooh, yeah, really. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have to practice your voice. We can do each other's voices. Because if people have never seen us in person, maybe that's they true. don't know who's who. I don't know if I do your voice. You're a bit, yeah. you're a bit more gravelly than like, do <laughs> Please don't I can't. Do, that. do mine. Do mine. Try to do, do a bibs. Oh no, I can't. Try, introduce a podcast like me. Oh no, I, I would. Yeah. I would. I would never. Hello, everybody, and welcome <laughs> back to to We've Got Mail. Come on, try. <laughs> no, try. Come no, on. No, come no, on. No, I dare you. Right I dare you. 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 Okay, fine. I'll not embarrass myself or you. That's the um, whole point. All right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> back to the letter. Letter. Uh, I'm a big fan of trivia quizzes. And one of the websites I use has been running a series of quizzes about LGBT characters on TV. And it's been a useful gateway uh, for me in finding shows that I didn't even know had such representation in the first place. Hmm. Uh, More importantly, though, it's given me an idea. I have an extremely homophobic aunt. Oh, dear. Well, 
Boo, uh, who visits and watches shows with me from time to time. And one of my favorite pastimes recently has been to sneak shows with LGBT characters into the lineup. Uh, usually if she catches a whiff of anything remotely gay, she'll demand I turn it off immediately. But I figured out a way around this. I, for- <laughs> I first noticed it with the podcast Welcome to Night Vale, whose narrator slash main character is gay. But this information wasn't revealed until many, many episodes in, and by that point she was so wrapped up in the story that she was willing to, as she put it, put up with it in order to continue <laughs> listening. Oh my god. Put up with other human beings. What a chore. Mm. Um, I tested the strategy with The Owl House, one oh. of the shows I found through the Affirmation Quiz website. Love uh, this show so much. Uh, we just started watching this recently. It's great. Oh, well... You you started watching it. I haven't seen. Oh, sorry. It we yet. we me and Michelle. We we both started watching. It's yeah, great. Um, uh, it's a wonderful animated uh, fantasy on the Disney Channel of all places with a bisexual main character yep. whose sexuality isn't really made obvious until much later in the show. Mm. The most recent episode even features a very explicitly romantic subplot between two girls that culminates with one kissing the other. And upon seeing it, much to my surprise. Uh, my aunt didn't become enraged and quit watching because she was still really wanted to know where the story was going. I consider this a victory. My question to you and to the listeners, then, is this. Are there any TV shows with compelling plots or characters that feature LGBT characters, uh, but that don't but don't make that explicit until a decent way into the show? This may be my only my opinion, but I find tricking bigots into accidentally being exposed to positive representation to be a hoot and a half, and I'm happy to do this as much as I can get away with it, even if it ultimately doesn't change their minds. Sincerely mm. yours, Jack. Uh, um, first off, Jack, look, bravo. Uh, bravo. Seriously, uh, the, 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 what, a, what a great work you're doing. That's, it's, it's, it's noble that you're trying, and yeah. I, I, it's, it's horrible that people still have to live with these bigots, especially uh, if, yeah. if you are in a place where you you are queer yourself and you have to live with them or, you know, the, this, this whole tragedy of not being able to live as who you are. Yeah. Um, I, I hope you can come here and listen to us because we, we want you here and we love you. And um, as for shows on TV series that sort of <laughs> spring the gay on you, as it were, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something. I know, there, there have been a few recent animated shows that um, introduced queer elements later in them. Um, mm. I'm not at all familiar with a TV series called Steven Universe. Oh, yeah. I know there's a character, there's uh, two, uh, two female characters that end up becoming lovers on that show, but like mm. later into the show. Right? Well, it's, it's or, a little or, more complicated because oh, yeah. the nature of that show is weird, but yes, basically, yes. yes. Uh, um, and that's a, gr- that's a great one. It's a wonderful mm. show. And um, yeah, it's, they don't. Isn't that also true of Adventure Time, where there's two female characters that end up having an affair? I didn't finish watching Adventure Time, okay. but it's my understanding, yeah. Also, yeah. Um, they kind of only did it like right at the end, which is a little disappointing. But um, uh, Avatar: The Legend of Korra, yeah, I was going to bring that on, one on up. that note as yeah, well. I, I wish they'd done it a little sooner so that we could have actually like yeah. enjoyed no. that their part of their characters more before the series ended. Mm. But yes, I mean, yeah, obviously, it, we enjoyed the characters regardless, but we could have like enjoyed the being open, you know, yeah, uh, would have been nice. This is yeah. a this is a book, but um, Harold Hutchins. Of George Beard and Harold Hutchins, the creators of Captain Underpants, mm-hmm. in the canon of Captain Underpants, yeah, there uh, there's some time travels. There's a time travel story in the twelfth book, the final book in the series, where you get to see them as adults and who they married. And Harold married another man, mm. uh, and they. It's just completely incidental. So uh, there, there's no reference to his sexuality otherwise, because mm. it's a little kid throughout most of it. Um, 
So, but that's that's like a kid's book. I'm not sure if yeah. your aunt would be reading that. Uh, the sitcom yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine mm. uh, is very funny, and uh, the character of Rosa Diaz, played by Stephanie Beatriz, um, I don't think they confirm. She confirms that she's bisexual. She uses like, the word bisexual. She uses the word sure, bisexual yeah. too. Like, but that's like not until like season four or five. Okay, like it's it's a it's a it's a long wait to get um, to that one. Um. This is a fun prank to play on on a bigot. Well, uh, I suppose like getting them involved, but uh, what really needs to happen is just for them to watch a queer story. Yeah, something that is openly and explicitly queer, and uh, you know, and, if, if, and not be in the mindset to immediately reject that out yeah. of hand. You know, again, you, you, we have to like break down the walls, and sometimes they don't all break down yeah, in one go. So I and, understand. So the idea of easing them into it. Yeah. Might make a lot of sense, and especially with someone maybe who's had like a real long lifetime of not being challenged, yeah, pr- prejudice and bigotry. Yeah, yeah then like just... it's it's tricky, and you know it would be real, real nice if there was some like definite easy way to do this for every single person, because uh, then we could do that, yeah, and what... then people would just be maybe more open minded and and chill and. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's difficult to say now because um, advertising has become so specialized. And algorithms are sort of like changing ads to fit what you're watching and consuming and clicking on. Uh, it's difficult to say how many of these ads might be penetrating nationwide, but I have been seeing a lot more queer couples in just commercials. There's a, mm, I, I saw an yeah. ad, ad recently, it was, I think it was for like Metamucil or something really uh, completely mundane. And it featured two, two men in their 60s in bed together. Mm. This like old married couple. And, uh, it, and, it, and it was present, these two guys were just having, oh yes, I, I, I think we should both take Metamucil. Yes, I think we should both take Metamucil. <laughs> it's like, I don't care. I don't want to watch this Metamucil ad. <laughs> but look, queer representation in something as mundane as a TV ad. Yeah, the idea I think that it's... That, that it... is actually a lot more useful yeah. than uh, maybe something like trying to... F- force your bigoted aunt through something like love mm-hmm. simon the idea of just like having representation be so commonplace mm. that it's no longer something that even raises an eyebrow and it's just like and we're all here and it's cool mm. like that is a goal we'd like to get yeah. to at some point but we're you know it's we're, the I, last I, representation isn't there yet I, I would rather pull the bigot aside and say you're the one who needs to catch up it's right. it's not it's not our job to track where you are in the back. Mm-hmm. We're we're up here in the front. Catch up. And yeah. um, uh, we had a conversation recently um, uh, with David Alonso about uh, uh, the Hallmark. Ha- Hallmark movies yeah. and the Hallmark Channel and how Hallmark movies have very uh, rather infamously promoted this sort of very bland, very conservative mindset yeah. where the characters are all white and yeah. the characters are all straight and there's and they're all and they're all they're Christian all, and they're all yeah, yeah they're all and they're, they're all like they're all, like upper middle class conservative yeah. families. Well, they all live in and, small town mid mid you know Midwest America. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's sort of like what Disney does in that yeah. it's trying to predict uh, 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 depict this really. Uh, very specific lifestyle as sort of like the, the real America. And I find that to be incredibly harmful in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to things like queer representation, because there aren't queer characters in these things. Uh, and you and Alonso were saying that there's been some evolution over the years, that right. they actually are starting to incorporate some representation. Whereas Dave White and I were just sort of sniffing at this entire thing. Mm. And uh, to that point, it's, I don't, I'm not so concerned with where the back end of representation is. You know, it might be moving along and that means that we are making some progress. If you look right. at the most backwards and see that there's actually some progress going on there. Yeah. But 
catch up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 100%. And that was not, and I'm, I'm sure I speak for both Alonzo and myself when I say that when we were talking about how Hallmark has been improving, mm. I don't think either of us are saying that they've nailed it. But mm. there was a time when it seemed like they would never even make the attempt. And so at the very least, progress should be noted and it should be encouraged along. Please, let's hurry this the fuck up. Yeah. yeah. So some credit where credit mm. is due, but you'll get a lot more mm. credit if you just fucking do the thing. Yeah. So you, you we, we've, we've had um, 20 some years of hetero Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. Let's have 20 years of queer. Please. Balance straight, it out. Straight years. Yeah. yeah. We, we've had well, no, of, not straight years. Well, <laughs> we, we've had 20 straight years. Now we want 20 queer years yeah. of, of uh, romances, Christmas romances. On the Let's Hallmark do it. Show. I'm down. Ma- make them as bland as you want. Just make them yeah. queer. <laughs> <laughs> Things have no flavor anyway. At least have queer characters. Please. Uh, so I, I admire that you're trying to sort of mm. prank your bigoted aunt into mm. uh, being a little bit more open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I think... If if there's more and more and more queer stories out there, then your aunt needs to see them and understand that uh, it's not okay to be a bigot and it's it's okay to watch these stories and feel things for other human beings. Yeah, like um, they, they have, that have different experiences than yours. Oh no! Yeah, what what a like, what a tragedy! Like, like I, I could I, totally I, feel something for like hmm. space aliens with laser swords, but people on yeah. the same planet but if, as yeah, me. But if those space aliens have, with laser swords like kiss members of the same sex oh my goodness yeah like what the, yeah. the that's where the line is it's ridiculous anyway um, i'm trying to think of like other examples though um oh because I'm, I'm trying to think of like something that's a little bit more adult because the all, everything we've gone to is well, like I was an thinking animated of, series i was thinking of um it's one where there's a lot of uh queer subtext early on but mm. then it be, gradually becomes text mm. uh, and that would be the tv series of hannibal Oh, do they, do Hannibal and and uh, Will, Will their Will their relationship actually, becomes like fall in love? It becomes increasingly romantic, yes. And by okay. the end of it, it's hard to argue otherwise. Well, uh, but I mean, do they kiss or hold hands? They become a couple. They're called murder husbands. Mm, okay, but there's also All a lot right. more queer representation yeah. of the show beyond yeah. them. Uh, but regardless, yeah, okay, fair enough. But mm. um, that's um, that's just one that came to mind anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of yeah. TV out there, and it's hard to. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, tell a joke. Oh shit! You, you now might, I gotta think you know of a what, joke. You, you know? might want to go back to like the '90s when um, they were really pushing for representation, mm. but only occasionally. You watch something like My So Called Life, and there's like, a, or a Party of Five, and there's like a queer character or a queer moment yeah, in an otherwise show that's not queer. So, um, yeah, but that's but let's be honest here. I don't think uh, tokenism got us very far. No, it did not. No. Like um, it, was, it was, it certainly was better than yeah. not having any representation. It d- but it like, depends it was, how uh, how mercenary you, know. you are in your views of representation. Yeah. Uh, some people think any representation is okay, even tokenism. Uh, yeah. Some people think that that doesn't go nearly far enough, fast enough, and. Mm. Um, it, it at the time a lot of TV producers felt that this was sort of a way to ease into it, and if that's sort of your goal is to find somebody who's incredibly backwards, mm. show them older TV, show them something that's that's already a little bit dated, and try to ca- get them catch up, get them to catch up that way. All right, moving on. Uh, here's a letter from James Cosinides. Hello, James. Hey, James. Um, Messrs. McCool and Bibithith. Cool. I'm sure that's a reference to something. Okay. Um, I want to start this letter by thanking you for another excellent movie suggestion. I finished watching Werewolves Within. Yay! And it was quite the treat. I, I liked the Werewolves Within. Really a lot. fun um, horror movie this year. Please go yeah. see it. And this leads me to the to- topic of my letter. Do as 
do you as film critics find you know how movies are going to end long before the credits uh, roll simply because you are familiar with screenwriting conventions uh, yourselves having seen a lot of movies? Furthermore, how do you think your ability or inability to predict a film affects your opinion of that film? While not a working critic, I watch a ton of movies and find myself spotting twists early and often. Without going into spoilers, there's a bit in Werewolves Within that is brought up early on, so by the time it was mentioned again in the film, based on the established principle of set setup reinforcement payoff yep. i knew it was likely to come up a third time and that would only point that would only point to one person as the guilty party right i know the term predictable is often used as a negative when discussing film i remember that was one of bibb's complaints about knives out as he said he figured it out who'd done it but for me this isn't necessarily a bad thing i still loved werewolves in, within despite knowing for 80 percent of the movie who we were looking for and i still enjoyed coco despite knowing the twist as soon as they showed a photo without a face <laughs> to use another example yeah that one that one that one's pretty kind of broadcast itself yeah. a little bit uh for me even if i see what the film is doing i can appreciate it just the same as long as it's done well mm-hmm. but i also have trouble articulating the distinction anyways just wanted to get your thoughts on those two questions love your show as always also, my own insecurities require that I mention I'm not one of those people who take a thousand wild guesses on what's going to happen in any movie <laughs> and is super smug when I'm right about one. Yeah. Those guys suck. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just hedging your bets. That's for, just, for a yeah. little sign off, James. James, thank you so much. Um, you know, we study movies a lot. I have a, I have a degree in screenwriting. I, I pay attention to story construction and the way that certain elements of a story are set up specifically so that they can pay off later. And so it's not uncommon for me to know where a movie is going. Some movies, it doesn't matter if you know where they're going. They're not going anywhere that's going to blow your mind. Rom-coms will end happily. Slasher movies will end with most people dead, you know? These are not shocks. And so predicting the ending is actually the selling point. I want the ending (laughs) to end the way I'm more or less um, expecting it to, because that's why I'm here today. Uh, but some some movies are mysteries. Hmm. In the case of Knives Out, it's a straight up whodunit. Uh, you gotta you're trying to you're actually like almost competing with that movie to see who's cleverer, yeah. and that's true for a lot of mystery fiction, whether it's novels, TV, Columbo's a uh, well, it's Columbo's an inversion of that, but like you know, there's oh, there's uh, a lot of mystery TV where you're trying to figure out who the killer is. I uh, I recommend uh, listeners you seek out an author named Harry Stephen Keeler. Mm. Uh, he was a mystery author in the '50s, and he's sort of like the Ed Wood of the mystery novel genre, <laughs> in that he wrote these incredibly bizarre, very bad. Bad mysteries. Uh, the the one I've read, uh, McSweeney's uh, found it and republished it. It's uh-huh. called the, the Riddle of the Traveling Skull. And it's about oh, a guy about, a, that, about yeah. a guy who wakes up on a, a a bus. He fell asleep on a bus and he gets home with his suitcase, opens it up, and there's a skull inside. There's a hole in the skull and there's like notes of paper inside the skull. And he has to figure out what the riddle of this skull is. How did it get in his bag? And this is not his bag. Wait a minute. He switched it around and it goes to uh, you know. Doctors who perform trepanation and mm-hmm. uh, you know, dead circus performers, and he travel and talks to all of these really bizarre characters, and about don't, like don't ruin two, it. two chap well two chapters from the end. There's a, a splash page in the middle with a big skull drawn on it, and it <laughs> says, "Stop reading. You have all the clues. You should be able to figure it out now." And <laughs> Now, write down who you think it is That's and and see if you're right reading that pipe. The problem is Harry Stephen Keeler is such a rotten author, you could never possibly guess because the explanation <laughs> makes no logical sense whatsoever. Um, yeah. and, and he makes he writes all these novels with really strange titles like uh, um, the, the Riddle of the Traveling Skull, The Case of the Transposed Legs, uh, I Killed Lincoln at 317! Um, nice. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> the skull of the waltzing clown. You know, there's all these oh really, God. these really, these are real books. I really and, want to read all those books. Yeah, now. And, and I sadly a lot of them are really hard to track down. Oh, I think you can get some like through those like cheapy print on demand mm-hmm. things through like Amazon. Right. Um, but yeah, this idea that stop, you should be able to figure it out right now was mm-hmm. a big appeal of of like a mystery. Sure. And uh, a movie's never done that. They say stop, you should be able to figure it out. Here, uh, if unless I'm watching a mystery, I, I'm I'm not really big on being surprised. Okay. Like like a big twist in a movie is never going to be its selling point. Hmm. Uh, that's that's. So that's, that's, that's never been done, but no, generally it's, speaking, it's definitely yeah. been done. Yeah. Um, so and movies do still surprise me, uh, and it's especially nice when it, I it's not meant to be seen coming. Yeah. There's a twist in the movie, the woman that you couldn't possibly see coming that, uh, changes the context of everything. And when it comes out of the blue, it's like, Oh, holy shit. This big surprise. Scariest fucking thing. So there are surprises like that, that I really appreciate. Um, I, if you've never, if you don't know the story or anything about uh, the Takashi Miike audition, oh yeah, uh, watch that one without reading anything, mm-hmm. because that that one would benefit from being surprised. But that's one also one where when, you're not supposed to predict it. It's just supposed yeah, to yeah. sort of come so, along. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to predicting movies, I you can safely predict most movies, especially if you see mm-hmm. a lot of them. Yeah. Because most movies are tend safe. to be tend to be written kind of in the same way, especially yeah. if you're familiar with the genre or more specifically with a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, you know how these things are probably going to work out in a general sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fun is seeing how they get there. True. Uh, even if, and so if, even if you can predict it, sometimes it's fun just to watch it play out. If well, you can predict it and they're still treating it as if it's a mystery, that's when it becomes a problem. You know, I was, I was, someone was uh, online the other day and they tweeted about, um, I don't know why people watch movies more than once. You already know how they end. Mm. That's not why we watch them. Well, like, an, an I guess end, that is how some well, people, I suppose. But, that, but, it's not but, what, yeah. but it's not what the rest of us watch them, is my point. The 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 ending isn't like, you know, the tr- treasure at the bo- at the end of the map. Mm. They're supposed to grab that treasure and then throw away the map. No, it's like the journey matters, but also the ending matters. Mm. And there's lots of movies out there where the ending is so satisfying or so scary or so bizarre uh that it intrigues us Hmm. that is satisfying to us or it intrigues us and we want to revisit it over and over again uh and as a result you know i already know how a movie i've already seen ends if i want to see it again that means i want to get to that ending again i want to go on that journey and earn that ending all over again and that can be very very satisfying when i'm watching a movie and a movie is formulaic enough that i can put it together pretty quick Hmm. Or if it's trying to be sneaky and dang it, I just, it activated the curiosity part of my brain and I start trying to outthink the movie because it's the point. It's a whodunit. Um, There's two things that I want. I either want to be surprised or I want them to, well, actually, let me rephrase that. I want them to come up with the best ending. If Hmm. the best ending is the ending that I predicted... I want that ending. If they come up with a better ending than that, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it can be frustrating. Like I actually, uh, I figured out, I remember the first time I saw the movie Scream, the original Scream, no idea. Everyone told me you tried to figure out who did it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. And one of the things I was paying attention to was who isn't around when the killer is killing. Mm-hmm. 
And once it's you know fun, the end... It's a fun game to play with the movie Clue as well. Yeah, like, exactly. Who's, who's in the room in that shot? Exactly. And they're always like crowded together, so you kind of lose track sometimes. But the twist in the movie Scream is such that that kind of traditional paying attention to the narrative to figure out who done it doesn't help because mm-hmm. they found a way around that. So they played completely fair. You just didn't know that that was a rule. <laughs> and now once the rule is revealed, you're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. That's really clever, actually. So that one didn't I didn't see coming at all. And then Scream 4 came around many years later. And that one I figured out by like 40 minutes in. And that was really frustrating because that one where I was paying... I wasn't paying attention so much to like who wasn't around. Uh-huh. I was paying attention to who should be the protagonist of this movie and isn't getting a lot of screen time. <laughs> and once I started putting that together, I was like, wait a minute, yeah... Why the hell isn't this character more important? Why aren't we like doing? And then that became you know, abundantly clear that mm-hmm. okay, we're gonna go in this direction, and it's still a pretty good ending. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mad at it, but that I, one, I, that I one, like I got, that's a good movie. I'm not complaining. I was just like, that's how I got ahead of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but again, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to be right. Yeah, I just want a good ending. If it's the ending mm-hmm. I happen to see coming. Great, that's a good ending. If it's the ending that I like, go for it. But what I want is you to come up with a satisfying ending. Mm. If that's satisfying because it's a twist or because it's formulaic, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Just I, satisfy me. I, I And I've said this before on, on our podcasts. I'm, I'm not spoiler-phobic. I'm not going to yeah. spoil something for somebody else because I know a lot well, of people... Uh, some, sometimes you do. <laughs> some, sometimes, sometimes I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I spoil things because I don't think you should give a damn, and sometimes right. I spoil things because that's the point. Like you wouldn't want to well, see it if if I need to if I need to spoil something to sell something to you, then I'm going to do that. Hopefully, people uh, know that when we review movies on the critically acclaimed channel, hmm. we're typically expecting you to be familiar with them or to understand that we're going to be talking about them in detail. Some have twists that we will go out of our way to respect. Mm. Some are formulaic enough that we don't think it matters if you know how it ends because we already know how it ends. It's a rom-com or whatever. Uh, And sometimes it's just desperately important that we talk about a plot point Mm. because otherwise we can't talk about the film fairly. Right, right. So Um, it's it's tricky. Sometimes it's hard to decide what's uh, important and what's not. But I'm I'm not one of those people who likes to follow like the marketing, the previews of a film up to a point, and then like a few days before say, "Don't give me any more information." Yeah, I need I've I have enough now. Yeah, uh, because they're not going to give us any more through previews. Uh, I I don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care if you you spoil a big surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Usually, if if it's presented well, then I'm going to enjoy it anyway. Yeah, I had the uh, ending of Citizen Kane spoiled for me before I saw yeah, it. It's yeah, still brilliant. A lot of people have seen a movie like Psycho. You know, yeah, mostly a big lot of people know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and in fact, there have been studies on this that, uh, I, the, the, going way back, if if you know the ending to something before you go in, you mm. tend to enjoy it more. Uh, this is Kinda weird. It sounds weird, but sounds it's a little true. counterintuitive, doesn't uh, it? Yeah. You'd, you'd think so, but you know, if if something is reliant on a twist, and then you watch it again and you realize, oh, this is about the twist, that's not a very good story. Yeah. Uh, if it's something that has a good twist, then that's something yeah. a little bit different. Uh, so yeah, right. like th- think about studying Shakespeare. They usually give you a synopsis before you start reading the play. Yeah. So you know how it's going to end. You know what happens to Romeo and Juliet. It's not going to be a big surprise. Right. Uh, but you can still really appreciate and enjoy Romeo and Juliet and see how it leads to that ending. And you get to see the function of the entire machine a little bit better 
knowing where it's going to go. I just remember so, one of my favorite uh, lines in The Simpsons is when Milhouse said, we were like Romeo and Juliet, but we ended in tragedy. But, but we ended in tragedy. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, when it comes to predicting endings, yeah, you can do that. Is, yeah. that, a, is that a bad thing? No. Yeah. No, it's not. Uh, yeah, a, a story well told is a story well told. Yeah, and the idea that movies are meant to be kept a complete secret from you is a made-up convention that that's really recent, actually. And, and it's, and it's, and it's based it's, on like advertising and yeah, marketing. And it's stuff, based on marketing. Yeah. It's based on creating a sense of mystique hmm. around something. You know, it's don't, it's really don't give away the the ending. Yeah, and then occasionally there's something that's actually legitimately worth being a little protective about because damn it, the ending is so good. Hmm. Like imagine if everyone knew the twist ending to like the sixth sense before it came out might not have had such an impact. People might not have left the theater and going, Oh my God, I have to tell hmm. everybody to go see this movie you know, and not the, ruin it. You know, the first time I remember that happening to bring it up again is the crying game. There you go. That that was a big part of the marketing was yeah. don't tell the secret of the crying game. Yeah, the usual suspects yeah. had a marketing campaign mm. like that. You like know, it's got, it's got a big twist in it. Yeah. Don't say, don't tell what the secret is. Six, six cents had mm. one as well. And that can be exciting, but mm. not every movie is designed like that. Mm. And sometimes movies are just movies. Damn it. You know, they're not, uh, they're not trying to be, a damn puzzle box. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we got time for one more. Let's do it. Okay. Um, here is a letter from CW. Hi, CW. Hello, CW. Luca uh, says hi. He's on my lap right uh, now. Yeah, Lu- Luca is, is on mic as well. Luca is not a loud purrer, so you're not going to hear Sadly, no. purring. Sadly, no. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Rockmeister. Enjoying all the podcasts per usual. I have particularly been loving All Our Yesterdays. As someone who has watched maybe 10 full hours of Star Trek, <laughs> with six of them being the J.J. Abrams verse, I have been getting your uh, getting knowledge of a pop culture institution I have yet to ha- have the desire to undertake myself. For instance, I found myself shocked to learn that we are moving on to Next Generation. As I always assumed, the original cast uh, filmed all... Films all concluded before the show began. Oh, yeah, it's well, weird, right? Yeah, they made four movies before they started The Next Generation. And then a couple more with the original cast during The Next Generation, yeah. Um, I wrote it today in regards to your remarks about uh, brand branding in Space Jam. Mm. Uh, another Space Jam letter. And uh, previously in films like uh, Flora and Ulysses. Uh, Flora oh, and yeah. Ulysses was a, a superhero film about a young girl who teams up with a, like a hyper-intelligent squirrel. A squirrel with like superhuman yeah. strength, or super squirrel strength, yeah. I guess. Um, and and a lot of that movie was devoted to quoting Avengers movies and playing mm-hmm. with Star Wars toys. Yeah, it was and like really so, bizarre. People couldn't like ring a doorbell without the doorbell being like the Imperial March or some. And yeah. it was always something Disney owned. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, like showing yeah. off what they bought essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. it was just really pervasive and distracting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I find myself noticing it more and more in film, and much like you gents, find it more and more annoying the less it has to do with the story. However, I recently discovered an almost reverse instance of this and had to share it. Hmm. On Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Ah. Another, another callback to earlier. Um, they have an, an annual heist episode <laughs> where they cast compete, uh, capture the flag style to steal items in an elaborate fashion. That's, that's I think so I need damn to, good. I think I need to watch this show. You would love that um, show. You would love that. <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine is some... I mean, there's some... It, it's weird because it's a, it's a really, like, positive... Cop, cop show, cop show and yeah. so like, they, but like once you get into the characters and everything it's really mm-hmm. great and their annual halloween heist episodes <laughs> are superb <laughs> they're so clever um the items always change sometimes someone it's someone's watch sometimes it's a schmodown style championship belt or as andrew brower put it a championship cumberbund <laughs> what pants have belt loops that size 
<laughs> etc. In its most recent season, the items they were going to, uh, going for were infinity gems that would fit into one of those Thanos gauntlets that were everywhere, ah. and that would be really annoying if that were done on ABC. But Brooklyn Nine Nine is a show that started on Fox before moving its last two seasons to NBC Universal, where it was initially developed. It's never been a part of the Mouse House. So the decision then becomes about character, and yes, it makes 100% sense that Andy Samberg's character's character would be one of the millions that found uh, Infinity War pretty rad. Uh, <laughs> thus, a pop cultural shout-out was used as a character-defining trait as opposed to a commercial for the studio's property. I loved it. Can you gentlemen think of other examples of people reaching across studio lines for the betterment of a piece of art? <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you. Hope you're staying safe and well, CW. Uh, yeah, so product placement, uh, again, product placement in its, like, Central form is when a movie agrees, makes an agreement with the makers of a certain product or a certain movie or whatever uh, to highlight that product in the movie in exchange for money. Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, and it, it goes way, way back. Uh, oh, yeah. watch, watch Joan Crawford movies. Oh, yeah. How often do you see Pepsi in the background? Yeah, she was like married to like the CEO of Pepsi or something. Oh, yeah. and so she... so she, Pepsi's all over the place because it's product placement. Um, the product gets to be significantly featured in such a way that hopefully it's done in such a way that people aren't super aware of it. And aren't aware they're being pandered to, but sometimes they don't give a shit. Films put out by Sony are like the oh, most yeah. guilty of that. They are unapologetic like, like, did, a lot of times. If, if you yeah. saw the 2016 Ghostbusters film, it's like, it's all over that film. Yeah. But it can't be the, all this advertising in that movie. But, but the trick with it, though, and the trick with it is... Uh, we live in a world where there is constant advertising everywhere, yeah, isn't there? So like, it, to, is it product placement if it's just taking place in a branded universe? And there's actually is like a line where you don't have to even contact uh, like the maker of a brand for permission to use their stuff if it would naturally occur in the background. So like if you shot a scene in a supermarket, you might play it safe and try to go with generic brands, but... Mm. Generally speaking, if it's just two people talking and in the background you can kind of make out a box of Apple Jacks, mm. the Apple Jacks can't complain about that because that's where the Apple Jacks would be. Mm. It's perfectly natural that that would be the case. Um, Sometimes they mention products by name and um, it, it's difficult to say if they were paid by the company to mm -hmm. feature that product in their movie uh. or if the makers of the movie simply have an open affection for that product. Yeah. A case in point, Luca, the movie. Oh, yeah. It's all about Vespas. Very specifically, I, the Vespa, Vespa is not a is not a type of motorcycle. Vespa is a, a brand. It's a brand, and I, I'm yeah. I'm pretty certain in the case of Luca, they were going for something very patently Italian mm -hmm. in the screenplay. Yeah, uh, rather than because it takes place in Italy, mm -hmm. uh, rather than uh, Vespa coming to them and saying, "Hey, could you feature our scooters in your movie?" Now, I'm sure they I'm sure they entered into agreement with Vespa so that it would be okay. Like, yeah. hey, listen, we're going to treat Vespa like it's the coolest thing in the world. It, can't help but feel like product placement in that movie, but it is yeah. the movie's art's in a good place, so it's hard to be mad yeah, about that. Same one. with um, uh, uh, in Wayne's World, they talk about Fender guitars specifically. Yeah. It's like, well, that's just sort of common parlance with rock snobs. You know, the, yeah. the, this kind of guitar is very, very good, and we all know yeah. the brands rather than make something up. There's a there's there's actually a good example of of the good and bad of this in the Tim Story Fantastic Four movies. Mm. Uh, 
which are really mixed bags. Like, there's a couple of good things about each of them, but they're not. Neither of them are particularly good movies. I, I like the, t- the the story and the acting and the scripts are pretty bad, but I love the tone of those movies. The tone is pretty they solid. This kind of light sitcom tone. Uh, Chris really Evans appreciate. and Michael Chiklis are very well cast in those. Movies. <laughs> they're really really wonderful in those films. And um, but uh, there's a gag in those movies where uh, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, played by Chris Evans. Uh, has much like Captain Amazing in Mystery Men, mm. uh, sold ad space on his costume. So he's got like <laughs> little patches from his various sponsors. And like, I buy that he would do that. Mm. So it makes sense for the character. But then, towards the end of Fantastic Four, The Rise of Silver Surfer, uh, there's a bit where the Fantastic Four are like trapped halfway around the world and they can't get out. And Reed Richards sends a signal out to the Fantastic Car. Which we know from the comics is their like flying car and it could travel halfway around the world in like half no an hour thing, or something. Yeah. yeah. And so that, he said that sort of thing seems unimpressive in like bigger superhero universe. But right. the Fantastic Car was a big deal. Yeah. So uh, he sends a signal out to the Fantastic Car to come from America. I think they're they're in like China or something and and it comes all over and it's like and Johnny Storm's like super impressed. And he's like, Oh my god, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then he sees um What's the, is it like a Pontiac logo? It's like or it's like it's like a Dodge or whatever like that. He sees like it's branded like this, you made up this car, but it's got like a car brand on it. And mm-hmm. Storm looks like, does it have a Hammy? And then Reed Richards says, "Of course." And I'm like, "Fuck you, Reed Richards would not. <laughs> a Reed Richards would invent something even better than that. Oh. B he would not geek out about that. Yeah. That's Johnny Storm might. Granted, Reed Richards would not. Yeah. So that's one where it just." felt really yeah. false even though like and that was clear that one was clear product placement and, and we, we live yeah. in a you said we live in a branded world and uh, yeah. a lot of brands have a certain kind of meaning uh, if if uh, there, there's a movie out there called The World's Fastest Indian, and it's yeah. about India, uh, the brand of motorcycle. They put the brand yeah. right in the title of that movie. It's actually um, about that motorcycle, though. That was a real-life incident. Specific, it's yeah. a real-life incident, and it's about uh, yeah. a, a, a real fellow who uh, broke a land speed record on this motorcycle. Yeah. He altered himself. It's actually a very sweet movie. It's actually good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like uh, that movie, yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you were to call it The World's Fastest Motorcycle, yeah. that's not... First of all, it's... The, the title isn't at the same ring. No. And uh, secondly, Indian has meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indian brand motorcycles mm-hmm. mean something to gearheads. Yeah. So when uh, car makes and models are pointed out in movies outside of James Bond, uh, <laughs> they tend to have some sort of uh, connection to them. That like yeah. the, the, There's actually significance to that that particular brand. Yeah. Uh, that Andy Samberg wants to race around uh, looking for infinity gems. It's, it's very topical. It sounds yeah. like something Disney would pay for. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think his character is like, if, his if character... he's, if he's the one, if he's the only one who gets really mm. excited about infinity gems and everybody else is kind of indifferent. Yeah. That speaks to his character. Exactly. And that's, and that's, t- I haven't seen that episode of Brooklyn nine, nine. I haven't seen the last season, but, um, he that's a character who decided to become a cop because he saw die hard. In fact, they actually <laughs> like, there's an episode where they went to Los Angeles and he like, he went to that building. And they had to go to the Century Nakatomi City, building yeah. and end up getting locked on the top floor. Like, oh, that's really it was, funny. And it was all in character because that's, that's totally really close to us, by the way. It's in, oh, yeah. Century City. It's like it's like a less than like, five minute drive. It's like three miles away from us. Yeah, it's like super. Well, yeah, in L.A., a three mile, three miles can be more than a five minute drive well, yeah. sometimes. <laughs> but like if you if you know the trick, you take Olympic. It's easy. Um, but uh, yeah, so it fits. Um, we, again, we live in a branded world. Brands mm. are everywhere. Advertising is everywhere. Uh, to pretend it's not can sometimes be more distracting than yeah. just admitting that it's out there. But yeah. we all know when the line is crossed. We yeah. all know when 
there is no reason to see a logo in this shot. You frame the shot specifically so that the Coca-Cola logo mm-hmm. would be in here or the mm-hmm. Macintosh logo or whatever. And some, like, sometimes it's lampshaded for hilarious purposes. Sure. Like a, Wayne's World. Wayne's World is an example. Yeah. Uh, I will not bow to any sponsor. And he poses with a Pizza Hut slice. Yeah. Um, uh, in Looney Tunes Back in Action, a good, mm-hmm. good example of this is the, uh, the Bugs Daffy and the two human characters are lost in a desert. And what should appear in the Mirage, but uh, like a branded Walmart. Yeah. So let's, oh, let's just go to the Walmart. And it turns out it's actually there because yeah. they're everywhere. And as, as they're walking away, sort of like, ooh, I'm glad we got these Walmart drinks. Yes, I have this Walmart blanket. It's a good thing Walmart paid us so much money to say their name so much. Like, actually say it in. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a little annoying, but at least they made a joke It's out hard of it. to be mad at that one. Yeah. You know, because they, they leaned into it. They made it into a thing. Mm. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's, but it is what it is. Mm. Um. Uh, other times, I will say this, uh, there are also some uh, uh, movies that actually incorporated into the narrative and the themes. We've talked a lot about how Kevin Smith built a lot of his career around Star Wars speeches. Yeah. Really. People actually like, people like working class Joes just f- looking for meaning in the most mainstream pop culture entertainment mm-hmm. and desperately trying to find something and kind of succeeding. <laughs> looking, finding things, finding interesting yeah. ways to look at these films. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, again, it's clerks, Definitely wasn't paid by Disney. In fact, I'm sure, or, or I guess that would have been the Fox, at the, Fox at the time. Fox I think uh, Fox probably would have been very, very happy if they'd left us out of this because that's a very profane film. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, people, it's something people would talk about, isn't it? Mm. You know? Um, so, anyway. Um, that's a great question, though. I like the, uh, you know, positive oh, uh, product placement. Uh, one, it's something we don't talk about enough. One last thing, and uh, the, yeah. I think this is something I might have brought up before, but this is a big pet peeve of my wife. She's a, a, a beer enthusiast. She, she oh, has yeah, a very, yeah. very refined taste in beer. And uh, she pointed this out to me, uh, how unnatural it is, because I don't I don't frequent bars. Yeah. In movies, when people go into bars, they sit down and they say, what are you, what are you having? I'll have a say, beer. I'll have a beer. What? What kind <laughs> of beer? It's a bar. We have uh, dozens we of have, beers. D- is there a brand you like? So <laughs> she likes like, and she always spot like, oh, this one was clearly filmed in Canada when they sit down and they say they want a Labatt's. You know, it's like, <laughs> Clearly, that no, nobody's going to a bar in America and ordering Labatt's. I uh, I remember there was the commentary I think for Clerks, and they talked mm. about how in Clerks, you know, they got away with having brands because it was set in a convenience store, so you can mm. see like a Zagnut bar or something in the background. But many of the times, a character would come into the shop in the movie Clerks, and when they would order is cigarettes. Mm. Uh, they didn't want to like name check a lot of cigarettes and give cigarettes yeah. like a lot of promotion yeah, like marlboro gets a yeah. lot of a lot of yeah that's that traction was a, here so like they uh they they ended up uh they ended up just saying a pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. in that one and the justification was they're all probably regulars and he knows what their brand is was their justification fine, yeah. for why they thought that was fine i think is that the one where they made up the fictional cigarette brand nails no, oh, I don't know. Nails, I think, was a brand that Kevin. No. I think it was a Kevin Smith brand. I, I know that Quentin Tarantino came up with Red Apples. Red Apple cigarettes. That's the fake well. cigarettes yeah, that he's um, okay with, like, because you want to promote yeah. a real brand. He come up with a fake thing yeah, for um, Bruce Willis to order. I know in Clerks, uh, the the chewing gum is was a made up brand. Chewy's gum. Chewy's gum was something that that Kevin Smith made up. Let me see if I can. Mm. Someone someone invented nails. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is. It's Clerks. It's it was Clerks. in Clerks. Yeah, it was. Nails yeah, Nails, Nails is the name of a fake cigarette company, which is yeah. you know play on uh, nail in your coffin. Well, co- cigarettes used to be called coffin nails, and yeah. I'm not sure if people don't really smoke openly so much anymore. So, no. at least not not as frequently as they did you know 25 years ago. Mm. 
Or even I, ten I, years ago, it's really. I it's I, I, I saw somebody smoking like in their car yesterday, and it looked so weird to me. Yeah. Like I'm so unused to seeing people just sitting there puffing away on a remember, cigarette. Remember when cars used to come with ashtrays? At, ashtrays and cigarette lighters. Weird. Yeah. They used to be big plot points. Uh, yeah. we, we watched uh, my my wife and I watched a slasher movie recently called The Mutilator, uh, <laughs> and uh, and. At the end of the movie, when they try to get away from the killer, they use that little cigarette lighter yeah. to burn the killer's hand as they're reaching in through the car window. That was a. It's like, oh, that was that was something you could do. It's like yeah. you have to explain to a modern audience what that even is now. There was a plot point in the movie Guarding Tess with Shirley MacLaine and Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. where uh, Shirley MacLaine was uh, he's she's like a former first lady, and he's a. Uh, he's a secret he's service, a secret agent, service yeah. agent who's assigned to protect her. And he thinks it's a crap assignment. He doesn't want to be there, and they hate each other and. Um, it's actually a sweet movie, but uh, towards the end she gets kidnapped, and uh, the chauffeur gets like branded by some mysterious like terrorist sect or something that kidnapped the first lady, and eventually he realizes that that's not like some kind of creepy brand. That's actually a mark from a cigarette lighter. Mm. So yeah, it's totally different. Okay. Yeah, there was a good little clue there. It happened real, real well. Spoilers for a thirty-year-old movie you weren't going to watch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now that you know about it, yeah. maybe actually, you'll watch it. It's actually pretty good. Um. But anyway, that's uh, that's it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, who wrote in. We're sorry if we didn't get to your emails. Uh, again, we, we get a lot. We try to do our best, and you know us. We, we like to talk. Mm. Um, if you want to email uh, for a future episode, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. You can also, if you were so inclined, write us an actual letter. A physical letter on a piece of paper. We have a P.O. box. Yeah. Um, if, if you're going to handwrite it, just... Uh, Right legibly. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, that would help, yeah. Uh, or print it out. But yeah, we have a P.O. Box. P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, yeah, make it out to, to me or to William yeah. or to the Critically Acclaimed Network. Or yeah, whoever if, you want, really. We, it's uh, in our mailbox. We'll, we'll, it's, well, it's for us, it, 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 It's actually, like, if you go to the post office, you can't just address it to anybody. Otherwise, well, I, meant, you want to I was thinking it. of the actual, like, inside letter, but yes. Oh, well, inside the letter, yeah. Yeah, but, but um, yeah, on, on the actual like yeah, right, right letter, to, it right needs to, to say our name or the, the company. critically acclaimed yeah. network PO box six four one five six five, yeah, uh, LA California nine double six four. Yeah, and we'll read those letters on Happily the podcast so. as well. Yeah. Um, also, we're on Twitter at critic acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Cycles. Uh, as we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, we have a Patreon, patreoncom slash network. That's where you can find our Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. We're already over 100 episodes in, and we're just about to start Star Trek The Next Generation. That's right. The pilot is our next episode. So if you sign up now, if you haven't signed up before, you get that entire back catalog. It's a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, and, um, And again, I'd like to remind everybody that if you want us to consider doing Columbo as a Patreon series, if that's something you would consider signing up to the Patreon for... Uh, please let us know. Feel free to uh, just tweet us. It's probably the best way to do that. Uh, at Critic Acclaim. We'd love to hear from you. And if we get enough people uh, saying they jump on board, well, damn, I guess we'd probably have to, won't we? <laughs> uh, maybe not right away, but we will definitely put it in the in the to-do pile. In the, in the hopper. As yeah, well, we, I'd be very eager to, just a matter of making sure we have the time. So we would do it as soon as we could. Um, and uh, I'm at William Bibiani. He's at Whitney Seibold. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget, we have a soap shop. Or at least uh, M. Lapis da Silva and I do. Uh, head on over to Salt Cat Soap at Salt Cat Soap on Instagram and Twitter. Check out our Etsy store. It's on Etsy. Look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. We sell designer soaps. They are smelling great. They scrub up nice. 
We got shampoo bars. We got bath salts. We got lotions. Uh, and they are designer soaps. They make great gifts. A lot of people have been sending them as gifts. That's very flattering. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who has bought the soap. Thank you everybody who's left a review. It means the world to us. And um, I guess that's it. So thank you everybody for listening to this show. Hope you enjoy all the other shows. And uh, sincerely yours, these guys. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.